Jim Willis, Marcellus Drilling News. Boy, those levels look really good. Mines are a little hot, so provolone, just uh, turn that mic down a little bit. All right, thank you very much. Jim Willis, Marcellus Drilling News, joining us here today. And I wanted to bring him on to get an update, of course, from the East Coast and the Marcellus area, the Marcellus Utica, just, you know, a nice up-to-date what's going on as, as we are a couple months into 2020. But as I'm looking at his website, MarcellusDrillingNews.com, I'm seeing an article that is headlined, John Hess says, Shale oil close to peak. Global warming is real. And, uh, you know, we just talked about Hess yesterday on how he said, you know, it's plateaued and um, they're ramping up some of their projections. And, and we actually spun it into a different conversation about rig counts, how we have to revamp rig counts. And I'd like to get back to the rig count thing in just a second. But uh, talk to me a little bit about that. John Hess says shale oil close to peak and global warming is real. Is it is it coming off of that plateau comment that he said? Yeah, I, I believe it is. So he, he was, uh, it's nice to be on your program, Jason. I appreciate it. Um, John was speaking yesterday in Houston um, at an Argus event, a crude, a crude event that they host. And, um, and I came across a couple of different articles, and the, the one I happened to pull from was uh, a Reuters article um, talking about uh, his comments at that event. And, and it, and it, it kind of struck me for a couple of reasons. So, you know, I write about uh, largely the Marcellus and Utica in the Northeast, um, which covers you know, basically Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia. And, uh, and it's largely about natural gas, although we, we do some liquids, you know, we have natural gas liquids, we have some oil, some, some crude uh, that's produced out of our basins as well. But um, when I saw that, you know, those comments from him, I mean, he's, he is, uh, he's, a, he's a big deal. Right. I mean, Hess is a, is a huge company and they have big operations in the Bakken. And so when I see someone like, a, a, you know, a John Hess um, talking about, you know, uh, that shale oil in particular across the different plays, uh, the Bakken and the Permian in particular, is uh, close to peaking and is going to be heading, you know, in the downward direction. Um, that kind of catches my attention um, for a, a lot of different reasons. Um, but, you know, he's a respected uh, industry figure. And, we, you know, as much as I'd like to, I can't just dismiss what he says um, because he's, you know, he's dialed into this stuff. So so my, my take on this was, and, and the thing that I focused on were a few of, of the comments uh, that he said, um, and he said, you know, one of the quotes was, uh, U.S. shale is important, but it's not the next Saudi Arabia. Um, and uh, I saw that, gee, yeah. You know, gee, it's like, well, we're producing more than Saudi Arabia, so <laughs> it's coming from shale. So uh, what does he really mean by that comment, you know? So that, that kind of intrigued me. 
And he also said, essentially, I'm putting this in my own words, but he said that he's going to drill all he can in the Bakken, you know, over the next few years. And he's going to use that money so he can buy up offshore oil plays because that's where the real action is in the future. You know, I, I took similar things away from what you took away from John Hess's comments at the uh, Argus America's Crude Summit held in Houston. And the Saudi Arabia thing I got, but what I kind of took away from that is that this is, you know, it's a global marketplace and Hess is going to become global. And, uh-huh. you know, they're going to, you know, you do what they can in, in the States, but not only is um, the, you know, because really when you look at it, they were they talked about the shale revolution being a 30-year play and we're close to 10 years in now. So, you know, if there is a plateau of a 10 years and then a little bit and then a, a downward trend after that, okay, I get that. Um, I didn't read it that it would like start peaking on a downward slope. I guess I looked at the word plateau as, okay, we'd kind of level off for a little bit, which I, I get. And that's where I go back to the rig count thing because I, I think this the, the whole notion of how the industry counts rig rigs needs to be redone because they're pumping out more oil than they did before, but yet rig counts continue to go down. So that you don't, you you know, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out that needs to be revamped. Um, What I I took away from it though, was that, uh, you know, for some of these oil companies now, in order to sustain their size, they have to go global and, you know, they, they, they now just have to, say it you know they knew it before they had a hard uh-huh. time saying it, american independence and all this stuff but now uh-huh. the reality setting in to where you know what there's going to be a race for those arctic leases and there's going to be a race for you know african leases and etc that's yeah. just that's yeah. the nature of the beast though i kind of looked at it but um yeah. anyway I, I i thought the comments too were interesting so uh by the way marcellusdrilling.com is the website if you want to do uh, check out where Jim Willis puts his uh, news and information and his blog posts and, and et cetera. But uh, I, I wanted to get an update uh, from from you on just the energy activity, but also from the environmental political uh, vibe out there as well. I, I know Pennsylvania is a, um, what do they call it, a swing state in the in the political world. So you know, it can yeah. go. It can go any way. It's a coal country, but yet pretty progressive too in certain areas. You know, you got Philadelphia. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, let's. Pittsburgh, yeah. yeah, in Pittsburgh. Oh, I love Pittsburgh. By the way, I thought Pittsburgh was going to be dirty and steel mills, and man, I, I went there about twenty years ago and just fell in love with that place. You know, I went it's down. A to, uh, it's a beautiful city. I love Pittsburgh too. Oh, I went down to the Pirates game and just enjoyed. Oh yeah, and, and that's a great stadium, oh, isn't it? Just enjoyed myself down by the river complex and. Uh, talk to me about what's going on in Pennsylvania and the Marcellus and Utica. Sure. Well, um, so in Pennsylvania, I mean, it, it's it's an interesting uh, dichotomy. Um, I mean, if if you know, if if we want to talk about the election, you know, if if the election were held today, because of uh, most Democrat candidates' words about banning fracking. Um, you know, there's a lot of angst amongst the uh, the Democrats in Pennsylvania because they know that they're you know they're not going to win the state. It's not going to go blue or you know with uh, with that kind of talk. 
So even though you have those pockets, like we said, in Philly and Pittsburgh that are, you know, tilt to the left, um, the rest of the state is, uh, I would say, is pretty much um, pro-fracking, you know, pro-shale. They see the benefits, um, especially in the northeastern part of the state, which is not, you know, so where I live and write is in the Binghamton, New York area. So I always joke that I work behind enemy lines um, because, you know, the state here has, uh, you know, at least for the time being, has banned fracking. Um, but, you know, 15 miles from where I'm, I'm sitting right now, across the border is Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania. And in Susquehanna County, um, it's, you know, some, uh, there's, well, the example I always use is uh, there's uh, one company, Cabot Oil and Gas, I mean, there's more companies that drill there, but Cabot Oil and Gas um, drills uh, exclusively in Susquehanna County. And they produce by themselves um, about two and a half percent of all the natural gas that's produced in the United States today. And that's one company in one county. And, uh, you know, not far from where I am. So needless to say, with uh, the money that's been pumped into that economy in Susquehanna County and in the northeastern part of the state, very, very pro-shale, you know, in in those parts of the state. So Now, you've got, is it Governor Wolf? Is my memory correct? That's correct. Okay. Has he kind of come out for or against it and and i'll preface it by saying and obviously you know what's going on in colorado they're leading the charge on the trying to do the the anti-frac at the state level new mexico's governor kind of made some interesting comments in her state state of the state or state of the union whatever they call it down there and uh to where the headlines read you know no love for oil and gas and so she uh-huh. she tried to tiptoe it a little bit, but the industry basically called her out and saying, "Okay, no, you're not going to have your cake and eat it here too. You're going to have to pick a, pick a side here." Um, what's going on with the like like the governor at the state level? You mentioned something about the the, the some of the Democrats are realizing the economic and the um, energy impact it's going to have, and so it sounds like they're being somewhat you know logical in this whole thing and not getting caught up in the platitudes. Go ahead. Well, yeah, with, with Wolf, he's, he's an interesting uh, study. Um, I guess the best way that I could characterize it is um, he's certainly not as bad as, as we could have. Um, but he's, he's, you know, he, he's not a, a full throated uh, endorser of, of uh, shale energy. Um, so what he, what he does, what he's doing right now and has been doing for a number of years is he's trying to enact a severance tax um, on the production uh, in addition to a tax that already exists. So there's something called an impact fee, which is really an impact tax, and, it's, uh, and the activity is taxed in a slightly different way than a severance tax. Severance tax, of course, any production that comes out of the ground, you pay a certain percentage as a tax. With an impact fee, um, uh, the producers are paying um, for every well they drill, they pay a certain amount the first year and then a certain amount the next year, and, and it goes on for like five or six years, something like that. And so it ends up being... Um, roughly the equivalent of a severance tax 
is is what it ends up being in the end. Um, Wolf has, uh, you know, in, in classic Democrat style, he's promised, you know, a grab bag of goodies, all of these wonderful things that can be yours for five, you know, four point five billion dollars that I could raise by enacting a severance tax on top of the existing impact tax, which would catapult Pennsylvania into uh, having the highest, if you, if you were to combine them, the highest severance tax in the nation. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's an existential threat. Um, the only thing that holds it back is that Pennsylvania's uh, legislature, both the uh, the House of Delegates and the Senate, are both controlled by Republicans, and so they've been a check against his uh, call, you know, year after year to en- to enact the severance tax. So, so on that side, he's. He threatens the industry. On the other side, though, he he does allow pipelines. Um, his uh, Department of Environmental Protection, um, is, you know, plays ball with 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 the producers and granting permits and you know not only permits for drilling but for you know for the pipeline activities and all that. Um, you know, there's always a push and a pull with any environmental agency. There's always problems, there's delays, you know, they take too long to issue their permits, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, overall, they play ball, they do a pretty good job. Um, so, you know, on balance, he, he you know, he, he could have, uh, he could have really uh, done great harm to the industry, but he has not. And so for that, we'll give him maybe not a gold star, we'll give him a silver star. Um, and it's, so it's, you know, it, it's going okay at this point. Marcellus Drilling News, uh, Jim Willis on the phone with us here. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the Marcellus. Are are people finding some success out there still? Are there certain pockets that are hotter than others? You know, down the Permian, you got the Midland area up in the Bakken. You've got Watford City, Williston. Where are some of those areas in the Marcellus where people are finding success? Well, the Marcellus uh, classically in Pennsylvania has always been um, – in the northeastern part of the state where there's dry gas and in the southwestern part of the state, you know, around the Pittsburgh uh, metro, you know, that region in the southwestern corner of the state. Um, it, it is found in other parts of the state and the center part of the state as well, but those are the two primary areas. And in the southwestern part of the state, you have um, you have NGLs, a lot of NGLs, um, maybe even a little bit of crude production. Um, and so in the northeastern part of the state, traditionally Chesapeake Energy has been up here, chief oil and gas, cabin oil and gas, southwestern energy has a big presence in the north eastern part of the state. Southwestern part of the state, you have uh, companies like CNX Resources, Range Resources. Range, of course, was the, the very first company to actually drill a Marcellus well in the southwestern part of the state. Um, and um, and then you move down into the sort of the northern portion of West Virginia, and Antero Resources is a really big driller in that area. And then you 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 kind of uh, shift over into eastern uh, Ohio and the Utica, and frankly, the um, the Marcellus also juts over there as well. And I I, I just wrote another 
uh, post today about montage resources because uh, they're increasing their activity in drilling in the Ohio Marcellus, which is, I, guess, I can't say it, it's, it's just so odd to say Ohio Marcellus. You always say Ohio Utica and Pennsylvania Marcellus, you know, but there's actually Marcellus over there in Ohio, too. So Montage is over there. Encino Energy um, bought out um, Chesapeake's assets in Ohio a few years ago. And so they do quite a bit of drilling over there as well. And I know I'm probably forgetting a few others, but that's kind of how it sorts out. And Eastern Ohio, again, has, there's sort of the dry gas sections, but a lot of the Eastern portion of the state in the Utica, um, you get down into certain counties like Belmont and Monroe and Jefferson, some of those counties, and and there's a lot of uh, liquids, a lot of liquids production over there. So Mark West Energy, uh, which is now MPLX, um, has a lot of processing capacity, processing facilities, fractionation facilities there, um, and um, and over on sort of the Pennsylvania Marcellus side, you, you see a lot of uh, um, infrastructure from Williams, for instance. That's sort of a, it's a very, very high-level view of like how it all sorts out. This might be a little outside your reach, but do, do you get much into Michigan? Do you cover Michigan at all? You know, I'll, I'll talk about it periodically um, for different reasons, mostly for pipelines. Okay. So, you know, so the Rover pipeline uh, goes from uh, the uh, western reaches of Pennsylvania and eastern Ohio all the way through Ohio and up into Michigan before it goes on and connects uh, to a pipeline system that goes to uh, Sarnia, you know, up to Ontario. Um, and uh, also the Nexus pipeline also heads in that direction. So, and every, and every now and again, I'll see things about um, gas power plants. So, you know, one of the big opportunities in our region, sort of this side of the country, is uh, gas-fired uh, uh, power generation. And uh, so some of that, you know, happens in Michigan and, of course, Illinois and, you know, Indiana and places like that. So because our gas, so, so uh, another pipeline system that goes across the country that reversed part of, part of itself is the Rockies Express, right? So used to come out of Colorado and go all the way to Ohio. Um, and, and the Ohio portion all the way back to Missouri, um, trying to reach for the name in my mind, I can't come up with it, but that, that entire portion has reversed its flow to carry Utica and Marcellus gas over into the Midwestern part of the country. So when I see um, stories come around that deal with like power gen and, uh, and major facilities that are using natural gas in that part of the country, Michigan and Illinois and Indiana, um, you know, I will sometimes write about those simply because some of our gas is going to go there because it's coming through wrecks and it's going in that direction. And another, another pipeline story in the Midwestern part of the, the country I've, I've written about is uh, Spire, you know, it's a St. Louis uh, company, a uh, utility uh, that built uh, a short pipeline to connect to Rex in order to move that Utica and Marcellus gas into the St. Louis market. So our gas, you know, reaches not only the East Coast and the Southeast, um, we have pipelines that take it to the Gulf Coast, and we have pipelines that take it to the Midwest and up into Canada as well. 
Are you guys hearing or feeling any of the pressure from the youth like they are in some of the other cities and states? And, you know, Michigan, they had some kids go before a, a city declaring climate emergency. We had it in Fargo. Yep. Um, it's just, it's yep. you know, it's popping up all over the place. And uh, what's, the, what's the vibe out there in Pennsylvania? Well, in Pennsylvania, in particular, so I recently put together, in anticipation of our talk today, actually, in, in another talk I recently gave, I kind of put together my list of threats. You know, what are the things that, that I see that I'm concerned about in 2020? Um, and, and one of those uh, you just mentioned, which is uh, uh, the, the way I would classify this um, Yes, there is that sort of movement out here, um, typically um, on, on college campuses. And the the thing that um, that I would uh, that comes to mind immediately is something I wrote about today, which is uh, in, a, in a passing note on an article that I highlighted. University of Pennsylvania. Uh, students have been uh, have been uh, protesting and demanding, and they've been doing this for months, maybe even more than a year, that the school uh, divest itself, its investments, from anything to do with fossil fuels. And so the University of Pennsylvania, uh, until now, has pushed back and said, no, you know, our, our investments are, are not going to make political statements and that sort of thing. But they did make an announcement recently that they will that they are divested and will not invest in anything to do with thermal coal and oil sands. Um, and I guess the the question that I have is, you know, how much longer will it be before that migrates into something else? Um, and and we have this all over the place. It's, you know, it's not just Pennsylvania and, and, and other you know in New York State, of course. Um, but there's this this move on to uh, force investment firms and banks to stop doing business, to stop investing in or loaning money to um, any companies that have anything to do with producing fossil fuels. And I and that concerns me. You know, it, it bugs me and it concerns me. And yes, we do have it here. Maybe not quite as much as someplace like California, but it is here. We did a headline last week. We talked about it on our podcast. Uh, Terry Edom and I, the author, the writer, the blogger up in Canada, spoke about this as well. Sacramento, they had a protest where children, they interviewed a 12-year-old in the story. The headline said teens, but the person they interviewed in the story was 12. And they, they drenched themselves in fake oil. And then to protest the teacher's pension fund, okay, the teacher's pension fund they used children to drench them in oil to go to the state capitol and protest to divest their teachers pension fund from fossil fuel companies that i mean that that is to me using children for a specific use like a weapon like i've ever seen and well don't, yeah, don't get don't get me started on that i consider that brainwashing you know i i mean that's just i think that's child abuse to do something like that. But here's the thing. Those those poor little children that are frankly ignorant, they, they really don't know any better. And I don't care if they're 12, I don't care if they're 22 in college. It's, it's, it's the same mindset. And 
What they don't realize as they're protesting and demanding these things, like petulant children, you know, demanding that they divest, um, they don't even stop to consider that the clothes on their body are made out of fibers that come from oil and gas, that the sneakers on their feet come from oil and gas, that the signs that they're holding, if they're made out of a plastic material, you know, come from oil and gas. Um, that, that the vehicles they got to those protests in uh, are, are made from oil and gas and powered by oil and gas. And it's, it's, it's I, I, I mean, this is just, um, I don't know what the word is. It's, uh, it's schizophrenic. It's ludicrous, you know, to, to protest something that your very life depends on. This is what's concerning to me, though, is because there are leaders out there that either are political leaders or industry leaders, or I'll even say it, you know, uh, law enforcement leaders at some point, I'm not saying police, but at some point, somebody of some authority has to set in and say, because you said brainwashing. And I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I would. I mean, I certainly I, I wouldn't hold you back from arguing your your point on it. I think it's more yeah. along the lines of you know, uh, child abuse and, and certain things along those lines, because I look at it like this, where it's gotten so accepted to bash fossil fuels that parents now are bringing these kids to protests like like they would to a soccer game and then probably going out for pizza and, and talking about what a great job they did. So it's, it, it's a totally different. And that's the part I don't think the energy industry understands they're up against right now is it is an accepted form of bullying and they're using children as their their weapon and yeah. it's it's a fight that i don't think they're equipped for uh the energy industry is very brash very logical and that doesn't do well with children i mean try to raise a teenager on logic <laughs> good luck on that you know yeah, i mean really. you know i, I always laugh because you know we're talking about the climate one of the most complex things ever okay and i would even say it's probably even more complex than a teenager we don't even know how to raise teenagers yet how can we figure out the climate I mean, these are complex systems, and we think that a computer model is going to figure it out. That's a different topic for a different day. But getting back to the the kids and everything, um, what, what do you make of that? You know, you're in the media. Uh, at what point does the media have a responsibility to say, okay, California teacher's pension, you don't get to use kids anymore. You, you can go and dress up like children. And, and do that, but stop using kids for your own personal gain because that is a personal gain when you're when you're talking about a teacher's fund versus the planet. I mean, a planet was a stretch before, but now they're actually you know going to different bank accounts and talking like that. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, kids are are being made into celebrities. You know, Greta Thunberg, for instance. Um, and I, I feel bad about that. I mean, I'm angry in, in some senses that that happens, um, but I feel bad for, for Greta. And, uh, and I, I too. you know, I, I just, I think it's, it's a tragedy. Um, you know, you don't, kids are off limits. Um, they're off limits in politics. I don't care, you know, who's running and how much I detest their positions. Their kids are off limits. You know, that's, that, that's, you don't go there. And I think equally when it comes to this issue, 
um, kids should be off limits and to use them for sound bites and to pull on heartstrings, you know, it's, it, it's just wrong. I want to ask you another pontification I've made where some have called me the shale play prophet and others have called me crazy, but either way I've been called worse. Um, with this environmental movement, and I said as soon as Time Magazine anointed uh, Greta Thunberg as Time Person of the Year, that made existential fear cool. And that, that allowed children to uh, yep. make it cool to brag about being afraid of, of smoke. And um, when that happened, all I could think of was that there's going to be some parent out there that's going to look at their kid and look at Greta and think, you know what? My daughter or my son will be the next Aaron Brockovich against, you know, X, Y, Z. I, I see that coming. I do. I just, I really yeah. do. What, what's your thought on that? Am I crazy or can you see that? Oh, no. I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, it's, it's just a matter of time. Um, what strikes me about all of this is that it's, it's not organic, in my opinion, this isn't just happening. Uh, it's not just popping up here and there uh, spontaneously. Uh, this is a well-crafted, well-funded uh, campaign, and uh, you know there are certain groups that are behind it, uh, and certain people that are funding it. And and that's what what truly you know that that's I think is where we have to. That's where we have to to get in there and rip the mask off and make people understand. This is, you know, the, the classic setup is, you know, the, oh, the poor environmental movement, you know, uh, David against big oil Goliath. And frankly, it's the other way around. Um, they're, they're the ones that have far more money and are far better funded and coordinated um, than we are, than our response, you know, mm -hmm. sticking up for fossil fuels. So I'm going to ask you one more question then, as long as I'm on a roll with you agreeing with me, because a lot of times I go to conferences and I, I'll talk to people in the industry and they don't agree with me on some of the things I'm talking about. Uh, one of the things that I've been saying since last summer uh, publicly, even at conferences that I speak at and here on the, this program, is I, I think the energy industry has made a mistake. And the mistake I think they've made is especially in the last couple of years, I believe they've been fighting and being in the midst of an energy debate while the opposition and the activists have shifted it to a public health debate. What, uh -huh. what, what are your thoughts on, on that? Yes, they, they have. But the, the problem is, is that when we respond to those public health issues, and we expose, I, I've seen dozens of different, like, frankly, sham studies, quote unquote, you know, that are published in, quote, peer-reviewed journals that, that say, you know, fracking causes STDs, for instance. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Uh, by the way, but I saw that. I saw but, that. Un unbelievable. <laughs> But, but their, you know, their logic is uh, because these, you know, these dirty, you know, tobacco chewing roustabouts, you know, move into an area and they're going to uh, they're going to screw everything around. And I mean, it, it just it, it's so it, it's it's disgusting. You know, their prejudice 
it, it just reeks and things like that. But even when, when you take away the distraction of the outrageousness behind it, you have to say, God, somebody actually funded a study to do that. I know. Yeah, exactly. And, and you yeah. know, if it would have came any other way, they wouldn't have talked about it. So a lot, yeah. of, a lot of these studies that they're funding are predetermined before they even write the check. Of course, of course. So anyway, so sorry, there, go on. So there's, yeah, so there's not, you know, so, and then there's studies about, you know, uh, mothers that live close to fracking have low birth weight babies. And, uh, you know, and, and, and then there's, of course, the, the classic from the beginning with the gas land was it's going to pollute your water. And you come back and you show chapter and verse, it, you refute it. You say, look, there's no scientific basis here. In fact, we can prove that this is not happening. And uh, and and but by then, you know, the, the the seed has been planted months or years before that this is going on. So when you come along and, and actually refute this, um, it's you know it falls on deaf ears at that point. So um, so we you know we we keep trying to fight this, I don't know, losing battle of going around and debunking all of these things, these health debate things. Um, and and, and, and that, so, that's the crosswords where I'm at, because, I mean, you could give somebody uh, a verified scientific study that has been cross-checked by every country, every scientist, and blah, blah, blah. And they'd look at it like it was, you know, a turd sandwich. They don't care yeah, at all. Yeah, they, 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 yeah. They'll, they'll show you some website that's got some tweets and, you know, and 2 plus 2 equals 10, and, and they'll look at that and they'll say, well, this, look, look at this. And they'll show yeah. you something they find on their internet versus, I mean, like I said, verified data. I'm not there now. There's a difference between verified science and political science. Okay, yeah. verified science is when you've got multiple uh, people that don't know they're checking on the same science, and then you get it done at the same time. You re mm -hmm. release the results at the same time, so that way you can see if it actually works out the same because if you've got all kinds of different results well then that's not really science that's just somebody trying to do political science which is uh, create a paper to advance something along the way and boy that makes sense because that was pretty ambiguous i guess boy i kind of lost my yeah. myself on that one sometimes oh, i get well. on my own soapbox and i got i got to step <laughs> back you know it's 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 this new podcast format we're on we're more flu free flowing and fl and, and uh, loose you know like a blog you can just kind of do right. whatever so uh anyway uh just kind of you, you're yeah what's so what 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 can we do is the is the an is the question what can we do well, I mean, here's been my observation. My, my observation has been, so over time, I think we've, we have had some success in countering these arguments that, you know, these, these health arguments that, that cycle around, um, answering these sort of, you know, these slurs and accusations with actual science and data that, that show that it's not happening. And so what happens is they just drop it and move on to the next thing. And the next thing is the ultimate. So, so this is how it progresses. It goes from those like health arguments. Okay, we, we didn't prove that. That didn't really strike a nerve. We couldn't shut it down with that. But they, they then pivot and say, but you know what? Uh, this, uh, you know, this methane that you're getting out of the ground, this oil you're getting, it, it's killing the planet. And so they pivot the argument over to global warming, man-made global warming, and uh, we, you know, we must stop using fossil fuels, 
and uh, and they put all of their efforts into that. And I mean, who can who can argue against that? I mean, you know, all you know, serious scientists uh, believe this. And uh, there's too much carbon in the atmosphere, and and we have to do something about it. And and so uh, and so, but but every now and again, just for good measure, they'll return and and do another health study just to sort of lob it on there and make sure that they can keep that fire stoked a little bit. But then they'll go back to global warming again. Right. They always go back to consensus science. They never yes. they, they never go to real science. They go to consensus science, which you know it's correct. It's it's kind of the same thing that they do in in mobs, right? Mob rules. Whoever you know, yeah. if you, if you got the most votes, you win. I mean, that's um, the way it is. Anyway, well, uh, we could sit and sit at the bar stool all day and talk about life's worries <laughs> and that sort of thing. But uh, so, talk to me how you make money, how people can give you some money, and uh, how sure. people can be entertained and educated and informed by the things that you do for the energy industry. Well, uh, thank you for for that opportunity. And that's, you know, as as you know, Jason, the industry, to me, it's fascinating. Um, But, you know, it can be dry. So I try to inject what I write with some humor and, uh, you know, make a few jokes and and, and be kind of lighthearted. So I, you know, I kind of bring the news with a twist. So I'm writing every day. You know, my, my routine is to get up at five in the morning and I start in and I'm reviewing the news and I'm looking for those things that, you know, my mantra is how can we make money um, with uh, with this activity in the Marcellus and the Utica region? Um, and so the, the filter, the lens that I see through every day is what news pieces would be potentially profitable for people, you know, whether they're uh, in the industry, you know, working for a producer or a pipeline company or a petrochemical company, or maybe they're a landowner or they're a lawyer or a government official, whoever they are, you know, they, they all come at it from a different perspective, but I'm trying to bring them the news on a daily basis. Uh, and I publish by noon every day. I put stories out there so that people can uh, read those. I do um, give a little bit away for free, uh, but it costs uh, $7.95 a month if uh, you would like to read full articles. And uh, and I always offer the opportunity for people to sign up just to get the headline. If you just want to see what I even be remotely interested in this, um, sign up in my email list. Um, which is right on the home page on the right-hand side. You can sign up to get the daily email Monday through Friday. So as soon as my articles are published, that email goes out with a list and a link to the articles, and you can just sample it a little bit and see, you know, yeah, that looks kind of interesting, or it doesn't look interesting. You know, it's not for everyone. I understand that. I, I, I write largely about um, the natural gas industry because that's really – what our plays are all about, mostly, NGLs to some degree, and petrochemicals now to some degree because of the NGLs that we have in our region, ethane in particular. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a Monday you know Monday through Friday. Uh, I've been doing this for years now, and uh, and I get to the odd uh, industry conference here and there as well, um, and. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a blast. I mean, I, I just think it's a fantastic industry. And, I, and I'm a, a dyed-in-the-wool supporter. And, uh, and, you know, part of my mission is to bring the truth of this industry uh, to the masses. 
So I, I get about, I don't know, I, on, a, on a typical monthly basis, I'm getting around 50,000 unique people are coming and reading something on the website. Well, we sure hope you'll come back and be a part of the Crude Life podcast and our other platforms because uh, our motto this year is ready for anything. And so far, as soon as I, like we talked earlier about draping the kids in fake oil and using it to fight a teacher's pension fund, I mean, already we are not even into February. I mean, we are into February now, but then we weren't. Boy, you can't get much more ready than that. I mean, boy, I tell you, it's it's right out of the gates, and we haven't even started the political season yet. I mean, we got people, yeah, really. we got people out there getting paid to go fight the good fight, and they're already posting messages on social media. They're tired. I mean, it's not, yeah. We, yeah. we haven't even got out of the first quarter yet, people. I mean, yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, I I do think it's for the long term. Oh, you mark my word. The Green New Deal and the environment is going to be the number one topic going into this year's election. And Trump is going to combat it with the economy. And I'll tell you, it is going to be a war of where Trump actually is going to have the logic and the platitudes are going to come at the other side. And it's going to be yeah. it's going to be absolute nonsense. I mean, it's yeah. it's I like I said, ready for anything because you've got, well, we started talking about the, you know, the different sciences and things like that. I mean, when, when your elected officials are just bowing down now because somebody shows a picture of, you know, a, a goose covered in oil from 15 years ago, what can you do? I mean, yeah. it's, it's a tough go, but, um, well, sir. All right. Well, let's see. Marcellusdrilling.com is the website. Jim Willis is his name and, uh, we'll be chatting down the line, sir. Sounds good, Jason. Thanks.